Hello, story seekers. I'm Nico. I'm Ben, and you're listening to The Tiny Bookcase. Seasons are so a thing of the past, guys. This is the episodic future. And we've both got a tale for you today. But first, I think we should just do a little quick congratulations to two very, very close friends of ours. We must, we must. We must. Our very close friends, Robin Nix, have uh, just had a very healthy baby boy and brought him home from the hospital. And so we want to say uh, good luck to everyone involved there. And uh, we love you, all three of you. Oh, I'm a warm and fuzzy. That's a bit, yeah, it's quite saccharine to start this one off. Um, I have got a very sad story, though, so I feel like I'm going to balance it out. Oh, good. <laughs> oh, I have got a very sad story, though. I mean, it's for the podcast or just generally <laughs> yourself? What's, yeah, the, just, what's the vibe here, Ben? About, I think I'm about halfway through my, uh, my autobiography at this stage. You never know. We've given up on seasons. Welcome to the trauma podcast. <laughs> <laughs> We also had the alt title from a few weeks ago of Weird Boys. Ah, yeah. Weird Boys. The conglomeration of all these terms turns into the tiny bookcase. Yeah, it's a, uh, it's a strange place to be, but a fun place to be. Yeah. Yeah. Well, anyway, let's tell some stories. Go on, then. Well, our prompt for this episode is tip. And you're up first, Ben. Pour it out for me. I shall weave you a tale. Tip. Brick by brick, I take them down. I'm never really alone up there, on the stacks. Me and my flask have seen all the seasons from on top. From there you can see the rain half an hour before it comes, and watch the cloud rolling over folk down below. Those stacks they need down are too close to the crowded life around the base to blow it up, you see. When those that own them go out to tender with the steeple jacks, they find that few can knock it down a brick at once for as cheap as I. I've no family to support and no ponies to bet on. I just need enough to keep my flask full, my belly peaceful, and a place to sleep near the ground. Peeling away mortar with the big chisel on every hammer tap, there's few things more satisfying than working away at the top. That pleasing levering motion on those clumps of bricks to send them tumbling down the chimney and crashing out through the chute. They come out fast, they do, and the man on the ground has to have a good head on his shoulders or else he'll lose it. Davy was the best at it. He had a way of knowing what I were about, even when I was hundreds of feet up. The wind rips away any shout of warning, no matter how hard you yell. I sometimes like to think of it as being stood at the tip of a lance. It used to be there was a forest of other lances across the county, like an army of knights holding them high in salute, as though to make war on God's green earth with the clinging coal dust they spewed. They're all cold now, and I've done more than my share of chopping that forest down. Instead of the stacks, they build shopping centres and high-rise flats. It seems to me as though all that'll happen is one day they have to knock those down too, and perhaps people won't be as careful as we were. You get used to the tug and push of the howling wind. Any moment it could catch you flat on your back or chest and send you tumbling. That caution makes you listen to the lilt of the wind. Anything to give you a bit of warning against a capricious gust. You start to hear things in the air up there when you listen too closely. My boys, the elder three, started talking more about those voices 
a lot towards the end. My old lady raised them sensible enough, but she read them too many fairy tales. They took strange notions aloft with them when they took up my trade. They called the voices they heard up there the Fae, creatures on the other side of things, talking in song where the air is thin enough to be heard between worlds. Whatever they were saying, it weren't no good for my boys. They all fell, and with not a drop of drink in them, you don't fall twice off those stacks. So I kept Davy on the ground, on my old lady's instructions. He can't have heard me yelling when he came back from his tea break. A chunk of mortar-bound bricks about the size of a cannonball hit him in the face, from where I'd let it fall and be spat out of the chute. With all four of them in the ground, there weren't much else to do but paint over the and sons on my van. I kept going, but the old lady decided against it. So now I work cheap, and I try not to listen to the gaps in the wind. The whispering song is still there, though, a kind of cruel mimicry where my boys' voices have been stolen to be used on me. The flask keeps a lid on it, but makes my feet foolish and my hands clumsy. Thinking of Davy has me pulling on it like a newborn at the teat. I know I'll need to go down my ladders to the van soon to top it up, and the job's got to get done. The wind goes silent around me, and the air gets loud with all their racket. Flasks drained, falling down the black hole in front of me to clatter amongst the wreckage of sooty bricks. I feel my head roll forwards, and my body tip to follow it down. A gust of wind catches me in the chest, keeping me on my feet. Not today will I fall, but one day I know I shall. That was fucking astounding. You like that one? I loved that. Cool. Honest, oh, beautiful, beautifully told. Fucking hell. <laughs> I'm going to have to take a step back and actually start giving feedback. <laughs> so I'm just a bit a bit blown away by that one. Hey. Honestly, fantastic. Well, yeah, well, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm glad I was muted because I audibly gasped with sadness when you said I, there was nothing else I could do but paint over the and sons on my mm. van. Yeah. Fuck me, what a sentence. Yeah, that's a, that's a pretty sad line, that, isn't it? That's really beautiful and harrowing. And it, is this is this a thing that, that you've seen in the North? I don't mean the people getting hit with cannonball-sized chunks of brick and mortar. But... Well, I mean, that that did happen. Like, stuff like that did happen. Um, yeah. But, uh, no, I my uh, my granddad was, used to really like um, to watch, like, stuff about Fred Dibner. You know, the um, engineer yeah. in Steeplejack. And recently I just sort of rediscovered it a bit. So I watched a bunch of his, like, videos about um, the demolitions of chimneys. And they literally had to, the best way to do it was to pay him enough money to go up like 30 ladders that he had to strap to the side of the chimney himself by climbing up the chimney to go and knock it down from the top a brick at, top, brick at once. Oh, wow. Um, and so, so, you know, a lot of the details and stuff are pulled from um, a bunch of like little documentaries um, and interviews with Fred Dibner. I think um, th yeah. that's part of what makes it very strong. Like the, the truth of the act and the truth of that character kind of sell each other. Like it, it being based yeah. in a thing that that actually happens, it means that those fantastical elements, you know, the idea of the voices of the Fae, and they they stand out, yeah. and the yeah. the realities that follow them 
are so much harsher because of that. It's a really, really nice way of structuring this the story. It's it's almost cake like, hmm. except the cake is poisoned. <laughs> well, that jam layer of Fey in the in the middle was was originally quite a lot stronger. I think I was get, I started with a lot more of like a concrete idea of there actually being fairies keeping him company. Yeah. Um. But I think I, I sort of walked it back a little bit just to allow the story to be a bit of both. You know, it could be magical realism. It could be a some kind of like dark fairy tale. Yeah. Um, I think there's. I mean, there's some great stuff in there for the uh, the kind of inversion of the trope as well. This this idea that normally the people who are so high up they can look down on everyone else. They're in a position of power, but this this man has lost everything. And and can't yeah. lose the last thing he he almost wants to lose. It seems his life. It's mm. it's kept alive by the very thing that took his boys. It's yeah. It's oh trapped what a tale. At the tip of this uh, chimney. Yeah, it's uh, I'm yeah, I'm glad you like it. It's 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 very fun. It's it's also one of my shorter ones. It's pretty much bang on eight hundred yeah. words. Um, it's, it's, I'd say it's one of my favourites you've done for the mm. podcast. That's very kind. I, I like that a lot. Um, uh, yeah, I, I, I wouldn't say I had like fun writing. It just sort of came out quite quickly. Uh, yeah, didn't have to work too hard on the artifice of it, really. They're, they're uh, often the, the best ones, aren't they? Though when you, yeah. when the story sort of can organically just and grow out into itself. I'm not saying that there's no effort involved and you don't have to smith the words, but when the story doesn't have to be tugged. A lot of the time, you end up writing something that's a lot more honest and a lot more of your style. I mean, it's got so many of the the hallmarks of of your style in there. There's a lot of just the great little turns of phrase, and you you know you're you're always very good at, uh, at giving giving backstory in a way that allows it to be fleshed out by the reader, which is a great skill for for short story writing. You know those. The, the meaning between the words sort of thing. Yeah, to say, you yeah. know, be able to say, oh, my old lady had had enough. Like, that's all you need to say. We can fill in the rest. You don't need to talk about yes. what else happened. That's, yeah, it's a, it's a great skill and it's nice yeah. to see it get used so elegantly. Thank you. That's very kind. That's really nice feedback. I'm, I'm always a bit um, uh, trepidatious about uh, writing something that needs to be performed with an accent. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think Northern English is an accent I can reach for fairly comfortably without treading on anyone's toes, I think, just because of my family and stuff. But um, it's still, you know, not my voice. Um, but, I, I, yeah, I, I, in a way, sometimes it, it helps that flow if you've got a voice. Um, I think a voice that you're working get, with. To get lost in it, isn't it? To find mm. the character. I, it's... In a way, it feels like cheating, and I've said this before, because you're letting that voice do some of the storytelling for you. Yeah. But in another yeah. way, the, the format that we, we write for and perform in, mm. it means you do tell a lot of the story, even without an accent. If you, if you sound sad, you can feel the sadness of the story. And I, I think, again, you've used that very well here. Mm. You know, to to have that that northern accent means you, you, especially if you're from the UK, you kind of you have a picture of exactly the sort of places he's in, what he's looking down on, what he's working on. 
the you get the idea of the the ideals of this man what he may have known when he was young what this area might mean to him and yeah there's a there's a lot you can tell again between the lines with the voices you choose and it's a tool that we get to use in this this medium that a lot of short story writers don't get to use because their their work isn't designed to be read out yeah yeah that's it's very true yeah um but yeah it, i it, it's the performance on this one as, as you say like did did bring some stuff to it um i always wonder what it'd be like if someone were to uh read it or you know written down um before and after like which which one would have the greater impact if you read it before i read it to them or if they read it after i read it to them you know would they get more from it one way or the other i don't know we need an intern yeah <laughs> someone to someone to proof it afterwards <laughs> be like why did you read it out with all these grammatical errors in it shut up <laughs> shut up intern <laughs> another thrashing is it <laughs> absolutely right okay well that's very kind very nice feedback from you so thank you uh oh, no. i'm uh I, I intend to uh, treat yours dispassionately. Good. <laughs> Hurt me. Tip. To say that the table had been difficult would be an insult to the very definition of difficulty. There are, unwritten and oft unspoken as there may be, rules to the art of dining in public. The first is, of course, not to walk into a restaurant minutes before the end of service and ask, can you seat 17? No, we don't have a booking. If a table is willing to break that rule, it is understood by waitstaff everywhere that what follows will almost certainly be, for lack of a better term, an absolute fucking nightmare. Now, managers in this situation are normally hypnotised by the idea of 17 meals being paid for. The fact that half the party are children never crosses their minds. Nor does the fact that moving the dining room in such a way that 17 people could be seated together will be, without failure, a catastrophe. And so it was that Sebastian found himself attempting to clear the now part-consumed dishes from a table that looked like a war zone. He should know. After all, it had only been a few years since his honourable discharge. So good to be getting back into the real world. A great lie, told frequently. The real world was, evidently, going to the dogs. As dishes were swept into the hands of a trained killer, he couldn't help but recall the difficulty of the order itself. Was there any way you could do the children's ice cream, uh, one scoop that came free with any child's mane, as half a scoop of chocolate and half a scoop of lemon sorbet? The scoops were, of course, a bit small. An inquiry into whether they were taking the piss had occurred, and all five of the children had ended up with at least two scoops of ice cream. Sebastian had, in the manner of all put-upon waiters everywhere, taken that personally. The chefs, who were very irritated about the fact service had forcibly continued over its allotted time, were taking their frustrations out on him, which is, of course, standard practice. Sebastian got through all of it, though. The bizarre and, frankly, gargantuan drinks orders, 
The strange requests to have French onion soup with no onions in it. The steak cooked till it was crucified. He was fairly certain they meant cremated. The kitchen were not in the habit of performing Roman executions. He got through it all because of the promise of the tip. The force that carries all waitstaff through the hard times. The promise that once all is said and done, your meagre wages will be escalated to an almost livable state by that 10% thank you. Every time he added another item to the till, the subtotal would tick up, and the sweet prospect of the tip, even 5% at this point, could carry him through Hades itself. So it was all, metaphorically, sucked up. The screaming and wailing of the infants, the detritus of every attempt to entertain them, were scattered around the place like the casualties of an artillery strike. Crayons lay, crumbled and melted, somehow simultaneously. Pressed into every surface in a way Seb knew was unrecoverable. White sheets, stained bright with them, intermingled with spatterings of red wine, cast widely by hands of participants in an animated conversation. Rinds from citrus fruits, fished from glasses, scattered the table. Somewhere, under a napkin, he knew a full nappy waited. He'd seen it changed upon the table itself. The 18th potential setting given way to the clinical and near-ritualized swapping of the absorbent garment. He was a good boy, they'd said, cheering and applauding the act of soiling oneself, even as they dismissively ignored a man balancing a dozen cocktails on one arm as he distributed them from memory to the table. Time lengthened, and Seb knew the evening service must be starting to draw close. The tables must be returned to their places of origin. Candles lit, extra sets of cutlery laid out. The anxiety in him began to build. Thoughts of drill sergeants came in. They inspected the metaphorical boot shine of the restaurant. The bedsheets were creased. A book left askew on the side table. A beard trimmed unevenly. He heard their voices. The memories of it reverberating in his bones. He was seventeen again. Scared. Undeployed. And a voice snapped him from his reverie. Ah, fuck, it's getting on a bit, ain't it? Can we get a bill, please, mate? Seb nodded the affirmative and printed the Bayer tapestry of bills. It seemed to extend eternally as it listed the items quaffed and crunched by these visitors. At the end, a total that sent Seb reeling softly. Two thousand... Four hundred and ninety-nine pounds and ninety-seven pence. It was like catching a mythical fish. He imagined other waiters gathering around, choirs of angels singing a Baroque chorus. He wanted to hold it aloft and take a photo. Honestly, it was this big! He folded it once, twice, thrice. It was still long, but tucked away and draped over a small tray, he took it to the table. The self-appointed master of ceremonies, his bald head glinting with a patina of well-earned sweat brought to bear by booze and rich meats, received it, casting a glance over the total. Not even an utterance of surprise. A card, not plastic, but metal, slid from a wallet. It had a cool sleekness to it. It promised of wealth. It seemed to cry nouveau riche, but with the sort of bollocks on it that were ready to be slapped against old money's face. 
Fuck the elite, it screamed. I've sold enough double glazing to build an empire, and today you're a citizen of it. Seb took the card payment machine from the front pocket of his apron, and following the unconcerned hand-waving of the pot-bellied man, he took up the card and slotted it in. Before the instruction could even clear his lips, at red to move to the next green, or green if you want to leave a gratuity, the man spoke. I'll round it up to twenty-five, would you, mate? Three pence. Three pence. There was a moment where Sebastian held in all reaction. A twitch in his eye betrayed his emotions. But the soldier, the warrior that had held a rifle, and because he'd believed in it as long as he could remember, defended the kingdom he called home, stood his ground once more. And then he remembered something else being a soldier had taught him. You don't take shit from civvies. 3P. He'd said it. Incredulity draped over his words like an ermine cloak. You what, mate? Three fucking P. A rage bubbled in him. He was more than this. He'd been discarded by the military when he started to get older. Not good enough for the officer classes. Injured, lightly, in the line of duty. You can't talk to me like that, you scruffy wanker. I want to see your manage... The word did not see its conclusion. The tray came up lightning fast, wielded like a comic book hero's shield. Seb brought it down on the bridge of the fat idiot's nose, hard and fast. A satisfying crunch reverberated through the tray in the room at large. Claret burst forth, drenching the ill-fitting, sweat-soaked dress shirt the man wore. As he reeled backwards from the shock of the impact, Seb used the rebound motion of the tray to bring it slamming down vertically. The meaty thud of it impacted with his target's fingers. It gave way to a series of crunches, which were then buried in his cry of agony. The others at the table began to react. The children, stunned by the act of violence, were split into two parties, abject horror and delirious fascination. The women, for the most part, hit instinct quickly and began the process of extricating themselves and the children. The three as yet unharmed men would surely be able to deal with this violent upstart. Seb, the violent upstart of question, grabbed a dessert fork from the table. With a short, sharp flick it was sent careening into the forehead of one of the other men. His football jersey stained with the drippings from his creme brulee but not all crunchy on top. Some force of good in Seb had sent it flying prongs rearward. The impact, however, did its job. It clattered from the floor with a ringing clang, followed shortly by the meaty impact of wore his West Ham shirt to a nice meal. Something crashed against the back of Seb's head. A water jug cascaded as glinting shards over his shoulders, glittering brightly on the parquet floor. An elbow flung back in response, took a pint of Peroni with just a splash of blackcurrant in the chin. The man howled like a wounded ape as Seb sidestepped and drove a heel into his instep. A quick check found blood on the back of Seb's head. Not long left to finish it. With a snap, he caught up the closest thing, the leather-bound booklet that had hugged the receipt. With a sharp flick, it was sent spinning into the stomach of the last standing man. The man who had ordered every side and asked for a refund on the ones he didn't like. After he had eaten them.
he doubled over. With a great leap, Seb cleared the table, taking the man's head in his grip and slamming it down. With a groan, both of them slipped to the floor. It wasn't ten percent, Seb thought. But that might actually be the best thing he'd ever got from a table. I feel like every put-upon front-of-house... You know, anyone who's ever worked a front-of-house in a restaurant or a bar would quite happily cheer and laugh and giggle their way through that story. I think you've absolutely captured the mood there. Big time. The description is full on, isn't it? <laughs> like, so, I mean, obviously you normally do some, uh, like, maybe like, you know, three, four, five bits of big description in your short stories. Yeah. That are like, um, thing. But this was, uh, like, almost like stylistically oversaturated, oversaturated with it. Yeah. Was that, uh, was that a deliberate choice? Yes. It's, yeah. I wanted the whole thing to feel absolutely overwhelming in the way that only this kind of table service can. <laughs> yeah, I wrote down overwhelming, hyper-descriptive, OTT, like all of this kind of stuff. Like, And then like, I was just sort of... Because I had to get those words out because it was clear that it wasn't... That wasn't the point of... Um, you know, you weren't just using words for words' sake. You were You were doing it to construct a feeling. And it's a feeling that I haven't really encountered before I don't think in uh, either your writing or like just general short stories that I've read where they're using the actual medium to construct that feeling. Yeah. Uh, like as in the medium as in like the words that are actually on the page. Um, there's too many of them and it's difficult to keep track of everything. And that's the feeling that is happening to the character. Yeah. Um, I, I like it. I think it, it's, I really like the balls on it as well because it, it treads a it treads a really dangerous line between losing your audience and yes it's bringing them along in trying to make it hard to follow it it's almost too hard I think with yeah um, maybe maybe a little bit of pairing here and there to keep the the through line of where we are in that evening I think that does get lost a bit potentially yeah i mean i i did follow it absolutely fine like i did get the whole i did get the the you know the the plot points and the way that the narrative moved for yeah. sure um and overall i think it was really really good this you know this idea of like this uh this trained killer being put in the in air quotes real world um to see this like grand extravagance and madness that most people live their lives at, you know through yeah i really like that angle of looking at uh, the service industry i think um you you because we know he's a violent killer that fight at the end has to snap real hard yeah um and you continue to use your granular over the top descriptions during it including using callbacks to what they'd ordered which yes. is cool but it might be cooler if you put what they ordered like him thinking about them by what they've ordered earlier, earlier in the story. yeah 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 you can just like you can say pint of peroni or whatever for that you guy you say peroni creme brulee exactly. yeah because what was happening was you were describing a bit of violence and then like cutting back to earlier and that happened like you know for for each description which I, I think it could work and maybe it did work but i think for me um i like i like my like uh written violence to be quite like fluid and quick yes no i i, I fully agree with you on that yeah but like that would be my only bit of feedback because i think when what if you if you did that then all of this like difficult to follow 
um, but but still very eloquent and uh, engaging description that you do, would suddenly have this massive moment of catharsis of like, oh yeah, the trained killer snaps and fucks these assholes up, which would feel great in the story. So I think that would like that would uh, that would be my main bit of feedback. I think. Yeah, I think as, as soon as you've said it, and I'm I'm yeah. even like looking at the words on the page now. I think yeah, you're absolutely right to to bring that in a li- just a little earlier. So that the, you yeah. can use a word or two words to call back to them, and the the reader gets to do that bit of work, and it means that it can snap harder at the end. I think you're a hundred percent right. But like the 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 work that you did to construct the world, which feels very very real, um, but like obviously over the top, um, had me like recoiling. At like in particular when they changed the baby on the table. So that's that's based on a thing that actually happened to me. Oh no. Yeah. What, in the pub you used to work in? Yes. I uh, I didn't see the changing happen, but I did, when I went to clear the table, find the very heavy full nappy. That's fucking table. disgusting. Yeah. What the fuck? Yeah. Did it not have, like, adequate changing facilities and stuff in this? Oh, no, they were in the bathroom, and that, that would have been fine. That is bonkers. That, like, Even to me, that is... To leave a bag of shit on the table, I feel like, needs to be, like... I would actually call the police. Like, <laughs> I would yeah. massively overreact to that. I mean, that's so disrespectful. It's fucking awful. If you want to know, the thing that is worse is that the the amount of that bill and the tip given is a thing that actually happened to me. <laughs> and I went and got 3p out of the till and gave it back to the man. Yep, that's the way that to was, do that. That's that the was way my, to that. my response. I didn't SAS them all because that's out of my abilities, but I did... <laughs> I said, uh, I went, oh, your change, sir, and put the 3P on the table. Take it. (laughs) That's fucking insane. Yeah, it's it's a slice of life turned up to 11, I'd say, that one. Definitely turned up to 11. Like, I I, I loved all the descriptions. Um, Like, even the little ones, even, um, you know, getting half a scoop of that and half a scoop of the other thing, and the two flavours that you went for were chocolate and lemon sorbet, which... A possibly is possibly the worst pairing of ice cream I've ever heard. Yeah. <laughs> um, and that's like, and that was like ten words of what I, I assume was like a twelve hundred story. Uh, it's uh, it's over. It's sixteen twenty. Is it really? Wow. Yeah. Wow. Um. But done so rapid fire, it doesn't. Yeah, it just yeah. it goes. It just it just yeah, as as you say, it just goes forwards, doesn't it? No, I, that's um. I, I, I tell you what, I like it when stuff like that, when stories like this happen. When we're like, actually, this is how we fix this story to make it mm. great because it's already very good, and you've got like there's so much in in it. Um, I would, you could probably cut it in the way that we've spoken about to get it under fifteen hundred as well. I reckon so. Yeah, well, when we eventually release another anthology, people will be able to read it, and you'll be able to tell us. Uh... Oh no, you can't read it before. You've already heard it now. No. <laughs> right, give it to someone you know. Get them to read it. Then forcibly make them listen to the podcast. And then make them read it again. You might need a gun. Procure a gun. Procure a gun. I don't want us to tell people to go and get guns. Let's not do that. Yeah, please actually don't. <laughs> You can Please don't a, do that. You can use a water you. pistol with like a little bit of hot sauce in it. So it's a basket. Is yeah. this airheads? <laughs> yeah. Oh, crikey! Well, those are those are fun stories. We we, we were yeah. sort of um, umming and ahhing which way to go with the prompt, but I think we've both 
um, gone a very different way with the, the tip thing. Yeah. Um, yeah, I like that one a lot. And uh, here we are in our new episodic format, having told a couple of stories. Feels good, man. Feels good. <sighs> what a time um, to be alive. Yeah, we'll be uh, we'll be joined with some, by some guests uh, in the uh, future episodes. Um, but hopefully, you guys have all enjoyed our uh, two tales for this episode. And uh, there's, as I'm sure you're aware, plenty more where that fucking came from. And don't forget, you can reach out to us with prompt suggestions and writer suggestions for right likes. So yes. if you wait till the end, you will hear all of our social media information. Let us know who you want us to write like. Let us know what you want us to write about. Thanks for joining us for this episode of The Tiny Bookcase. Remember to subscribe, otherwise you're going to miss out on the future fun. Also, tell a friend. If you like this episode, link them to it. We'd be tremendously grateful. You can follow us on Twitter at Bookcase Tiny, Facebook at The Tiny Bookcase, and Instagram at Bookcase Tiny for updates. Speaking of supporting the podcast, well, magic can only take one so far. The Tiny Bookcase is supported by the generosity of its patrons. Those kind souls have really kept my belly full the last year. Let's cast a spell for them, shall we? For rich ginger tones on their scalp, let us cast the Orangi Hedondo spell for Scott Byrne. And for general fabulousness, why not the Ulala la Mother spell on Matthew McLaren? How do you come up with that shit, man?